And let me kind of put things into perspective as we dig into the verses today. We're picking up the middle portion of the chapter. We've already done the first portion and we'll do the last portion next week, God willing. Once upon a time, there was a guy named Saul. He was Jewish, raised in a very, very rich Jewish environment. The best Jewish teachers, the best rabbis, the best. He was just at the Tory school of Judaism. He had advanced beyond all of his peers, which means the guy was competitive. But man, you weren't going to get the highest grade in the class if Saul was there. The guy was just one of those kind of guys. And, you know, you could just see him. Yeah, yeah, 100%, 100%. (coughs) excuse me, and he had, I'm kind of looking for his place, he's kind of raised in one of those schools, to be honest, where you're kind of raised to be a leader, you know, so, I mean, in America, we have, we call them Ivy League schools, you know, you kind of know, if you're going to one of those schools, you're going to want to be a senator or a president or something like that, I know there's schools like that here as well, and, and ultimately, as the guy does this, he's looking for kind of his niche, his place, during that time, this Jewish carpenter from Galilee, which is kind of known for its um, you know, they're not educated people by, tr- you know, by, they're just sort of the, the whole bunks, you know, where corporately the whole family has one full set of teeth, you know, and maybe one's been to school beyond, you know, year two. I mean, that's kind of what you're at. And this guy sort of pops out of this thing. He's doing miracles. He's healing the sick, cleansing the leper, raising the dead and calling himself the son of God, which tends to make the religious leaders a bit irritated to say the least. But the guy is killed um, on a Roman crucifixion, the most common way to kill the Jewish people of the day. And the problem didn't stop there because he rose again. And when he rose again, it seems like everything he said was true, which included that he was the son of God, the savior of the world, and the only way, truth, and life. And he said, you know, I'll prove it. I'll do what everyone else does and then do what no man does. Do what everyone does, I'll die. And I'll do what no one does, I rise from the dead. Just so you know that I'm not your average guy with good intentions. And at that point, this whole crazy thing that everyone thought was a cult called The Way, we call it Christianity, that didn't even get titled that way until we got up to Syria, 200 miles north of Jerusalem, explodes. And all of a sudden, this guy stands up, does this message. Everyone's speaking in these languages during the Feast of Shavuot, or the Feast of Tabernacles. And this guy stands and speaks, and 3,000 people become Christians in a day. And you can imagine, this guy's like looking for a purpose in life, and he goes, I've got it. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I am going to squash out this cult, this horrible gangrene to Judaism. So he gets letters and he basically starts dragging men, women, and children out of their houses, beating them. And and the only thing to make him stop is to say, all right, you're right. I was just joking about this Jesus thing. He didn't really raise from the dead. That's it. But the problem is every time he does this, people are not doing that. How frustrating. He's pulling them out of their house. He's beating a woman in front of her husband or a child in front of their parents. And they will not say that. They will just not go back on this whole Jesus thing. They are convinced they saw him alive. And he is trying so hard. So much so that he gets letters from the high priest to go all the way up to Damascus, Syria. If you're a good Jewish boy in Jerusalem, try going to Damascus, Syria today and see how well that works. It's a little rough going through those borders, especially these days. (coughs) Just the same. He's there and on his way, lo and behold, he has got an appointment he doesn't see in his diary. 
He's got an appointment to meet this risen living Jesus who knocks him off of his animal. And there he is. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And his question's a logical one. Who are you? Lord? Just a title of respect. And he says, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And then there's this almost tongue-in-cheek statement. I love it when God gets cheeky. I don't know about you. And he says, kind of hard to kick against the goads, isn't it? No, goads just a sharp stick you poke into the butt of a dumb animal to get him to go the direction you want it to. You're plowing and your ox starts moving in a direction. You poke it and it goes back in line. And he goes, you know, you've just been a dumb animal this whole time and I've been poking you to me. And every time you're kicking at it because you don't like it either. Some of you remember those days. Someone would tell you about Jesus and you like turn into like Carrie. You're like, what do you mean? You were nice and normal a moment ago. They brought up the name Jesus and you like just spun around and spit out pea soup and got crazy on them. If they could see you now. And you know that prod in the rear end and it's like oh man and every time he would try to prosecute someone and persecute someone and they wouldn't back down it was another stick in the butt pardon me for saying it that way if need be some of us have the holiest rear ends alive because we've been poked and we've been poked and we've been poked and we're like no 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 i'm not going to do that jesus thing that's for weak people and that's for dumb people and can i just say you're right here's the problem everybody's weak and everybody's dumb There you go. Get over it. Some of us are just humble enough to admit it. We're just not the superheroes we thought we were. We dressed up in tights, put on our underwear on the outside, and then needed to get rescued. It was really sad. And this particular guy's life gets transformed. He tries this gift of arguing that he thinks he has from all of his years of Judaism. And he tries it. The problem is you can't argue Jesus. Oh, some people try, don't they? But you can't argue somebody into heaven because Jesus didn't die to make you a great arguer. God's the one who does the poking. We're the one who throws seeds. So, you might say, well, I'm just a stick. I doubt it. So what happens? They try to kill him and he runs off and tries to go back to a normal life that he's never had. But man, I got to tell you, if God's got a crazy, wacky, huge calling on your life, just try to run from it and see what happens. God might have a giant fish for you. He has ways of getting you back to where he wants you. But the more you run, the crazier your story is going to be later. I would say spare yourself the fish barf and just surrender early. That's my attitude. Some of us know what it's like to be bleached from our running. And with that, he's in where he was born, Cilicia, (coughs) excuse me, which is the southeast corner of Turkey. And this whole new church erupts in Syria, Antioch. Kind of today, northern Lebanon. And the problem is, is all these people are excited about Jesus, but there's nobody that really knows how to teach the word. And there's this guy, Barnabas, and he's such a great name because he's just, he's just Barney. He's big and he's purple and he's like, I love you, you love me. And he's like that kind of guy. They call him the son of encouragement. Barnabas was the name, the nickname everybody else gave him, which by the way means son of encouragement, Barnabas. 
And he's just like that. And he's like, I know there was this guy and he knew, man, he knew the Bible. Let's go get him. So imagine this is before Google. This is before the yellow pages. Some of you remember those days. He had to go into a city and be like, hey, do you know this guy? He's like this. All, and he's got like one of the you know, 15 most common Jewish names. And he looks Jewish. Yeah, good luck with that, right? That's like I'm from Chicago originally. People are like, oh, from Chicago. You know Willie Brown? I'm like, I know 11 Willie Browns. You know a guy named Saul? But he finds him. He says, there's this church. And you need to go down there and be their pastor. Could you imagine... Eight years, more than likely, where he learns how to make tents. This guy that God has this crazy calling on, and yet in all of that, someday someone, I mean, you wouldn't go, hey, today probably someone's going to come over and tell me to be a pastor somewhere. You wouldn't think that. And there's a knock at the door, and it's Barney. I love you. And he says, hey, we need a pastor, and we think you're the man. So he leaves everything and goes. And for a year, he pastors a church. But God's got bigger plans than that. Hey, that, those were bigger plans than I guarantee Paul was thinking. Do you know what I mean? And maybe you were at the place where you're running and you're like, all right, God, fine, I'll do something. And you do something for a bit and you think, this is pretty cool. God's like, this is gateway to, to infinite glory. So what happens? Well, all of a sudden they're fasting and praying and someone says, I believe the Holy Spirit has something to tell us today. God wants to send our pastor out. How weird would that be? Oh, and, and Barney, too. You guys are going together. So they fast and pray some more, and they're like, yeah, you're right. For a mission that the Holy Spirit has planned for them. So they send them out. They go to Cyprus. Some of you know Cyprus fairly well. Back before it was half and half. Greek and Turk. And that was because Barney, that was where he was from. So they kind of go back to his own stomping grounds. And when they go there, they have this crazy showdown with a guy named Sergius Polos, who is basically one of the governors of the area. Interesting. From that point on, Saul will no longer be called Saul. He'll be called Paul. Paulos, by the way, means least. So a guy whose name means sought after. Now he gets called least. And now he becomes this wacky, crazy church planner. Now I guarantee you, when he was back making tents or whatever he was doing, trying to act normal, working in an MOT or flipping burgers at a kebab shop, I guarantee you he didn't think, boy, I'll probably be out planning churches tomorrow. But that happened within a year. A year. And off he goes. First trip through Turkey. Heads back to the church in Antioch and reports to his church. And he heads out a second time. This time, God calls him into Europe. Thank you very much. We get the benefit of that now, don't we? In the Macedonia, he goes. Berea, Philippi, Thessalonica. And then ultimately down into one of the scariest places in the world, Greece. He's got to deal with those crazy Greeks. And when he's down in Greece, churches are planning. We don't read of any church planted in Athens, by the way where Paul does this crazy, tries to quote poetry and everything, and other people try to take it as a role model, but we never see a church planted there. On the other side of it, just to the west of it, is Corinth, and he plants a church there and spends a year and a half at this place that's sort of like the Amsterdam of Greece. Kind of that whatever happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. That's the idea. So much so that if someone called you a Corinthian, they were saying you had no morals. 
I don't even know if there's a place like that today here. I mean, in California, we might say, oh, you're a San Franciscan, and you got certain sort of connotations with that. But to kind of say, you Corinthian, was to say you have no morals whatsoever. And Paul's there for a year and a half planning a church with these guys. People that worshipped all kinds of crazy idols before this. Primarily the goddess of pleasure. Over a thousand temple prostitutes on staff at any given moment. That was the welcoming committee for both Ephesus and Corinth. So you can imagine if a guy were like, I'm going to a business trip to Vegas alone. You're like, no, you not. Oh, no, you didn't. That's kind of the idea. But now Paul is there for a year and a half with his traveling companions. And then he heads back out. More churches to be planted, more churches to be followed up on. And during that time, he winds up ultimately in Ephesus. And as he winds up in Ephesus, which is the west coast of Turkey, he gets a letter. And the letter's from this church. And this church says, hey, uh, Paul, we've got some problems here. Things aren't the way that they used to be. Man, people are arguing and fighting and there's divisions. And some are saying, I'm of Paul. And other people are like, I'm of Apollos. And some are like, I'm of Christ. Eh, eh. Oh, I'm, and it's like, what, did you, what happened to the church? You know, it's like all of a sudden all the black people sat in one place, all the white people sat in another, all the Greeks sat in another place. If there's Turks, they don't sit near the Greeks. That's what it sort of happened all of a sudden. All the charismatic people sat on one side, all the young people, all the rich people. What in the world is that? Paul goes, well, that's a simple, no, that's a no-brainer. Like a doctor, when you walk in with a bunch of red dots and a little bit of a cough, and he's like, duh, that's the measles. He looked in and he goes, you're just carnal. That's the problem. You guys aren't trying to become more like Jesus. You're trying to become more like the world. And you tried to escape that before. What are you doing? And then the second half is, so Paul's writing this letter back to them going, hey, this is my, not only my diagnosis, but my prescription. All y'all carnal. And then from chapter 7 on, he goes, now concerning the things you wrote to me. So someone has, someone collected a bunch of questions. It's like, questions for Pastor Paul time. And he's like, okay. And so it's like, hey, whoa, I mean, if we're following Jesus, is it okay to get married now? That's kind of the idea. Well, if the Lord's coming back, what about this and what about that? And now he's laying out something pretty serious here because one of the things he's discovered is this communion thing has become so meaningless that it's become an orgy. (laughs) Honestly, people were getting drunk. People were getting crazy. But the one thing they weren't doing is, is actually communing at communion. Now, maybe you were raised in that kind of environment. I, I went to a parochial school for a couple of years. And I know what it's like. For someone to go, you kind of step forward, you close your eyes, they put this little plasticky thing on your tongue and don't ask any questions. Just let them do it. And I'm like, what's that about? And they're like, just sit down and shut up. And I'm like, what? The, what is this, like dues you have to pay? I didn't get it. And you know what? I didn't get it because it didn't have any purpose for me. And for goodness sakes, I was like my daughter's age. And when I look at her, she calls up. I mean, if something smells like a phony, she'll nail you on it. I realize why I got kicked out of school now. And I realized this idea of communion, we could do it too. It is really heavy and very serious. So as a result of that, (coughs) since chapter 8, Paul's been addressing this issue about the background they used to have in regards to 
the idols that they used to go to. Understand something. He's going to address, by the way, here the communion of the table and then the consecration of the table in chapter 11 where he really goes after it and says, what do you guys think you're doing? So it makes perfect sense to me on this night as we dig through this text to have communion at the end of it. But I want us to do it not because it's like what we're supposed to do. To be honest, I want us to do it because of what it really is supposed to be. So listen, he began chapter 10 with a very stern warning. Do you remember that? Hey, all of them, they, all of these people left Egypt. They went through the same cloud. They walked through the same sea. They were baptized into the same leader. They, they ate the same food. They drank the same drink. They, were, they, they drank of the same rock. Hey, they did all of that together, and yet most of them died. So what, you think you're pretty awesome because you had a couple experiences? And remember he said there were five things that left a graveyard behind us. The lust of ch- desiring to chase after God, after anything but what God would have for you. Because God really does know what satisfies. And it's like, otherwise you're like drinking salt water. And I know what it's like. I've been at a point, honestly, where I've had more money than I could spend. At least I thought I could. I was more popular than I ever wanted to be. I had more power than I could ever want. And I thought I was a mutant because I was so miserable. And I couldn't understand why everything that was promised me to make me happy wasn't making me happy. Because, to be honest, I'm not created for that. So it's not going to do it. It's like pouring water in your engine. It's still a liquid. But your engine isn't created to run on water. It'll actually be a really bad deal. Idolatry, immorality, demanding of God what he doesn't, you know, as if you were the Lord and then complaining. Remember how easy that one was to swallow. And then we pick it up today in verse 11. Will you look at it with me? Now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition. Nothesia. The idea there is to call to attention to remind you, a warning, upon whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may able be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless is it not the communion cup of the, sorry, the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread in which we break is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, and we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? Well, what am I saying then? That an idol is anything? Or what is offered to idols is anything? Oh, rather... That the things which Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. You can't drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You can't partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we really stronger than he? Pray with me, would you please? (coughs) Excuse me. Lord, I pray that your word would burst open and come alive for every one of us. That we would get it. We would get it. And Lord, you speak fluent us. You know how to speak in a way that every one of us would understand. So Lord, tonight, 
for every question, every reservation, every reluctance, every wall, whatever, Lord, tear it down and get at us because I know you love us. And we, in the end of it all, if we saw what we were refusing, your love, we'd drop our guard in an instant. So please, tonight, get into our hearts, not just our minds, not just our ears, not just into our eyes, but get into our hearts where real decisions are made. God, fill me with your spirit because I can't do this. You can. Because you can do it, Lord. I know you can transform every one of us. So meet us tonight. Bring hope. May the communion table mean more than it ever has for every one of us. And may every one of us tonight feel that drawing to come to the table yours. So Lord, redeem every second. Don't let a moment pass by that's not yours. So we commit it all to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. I would say tonight is I would any please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible have the final say. This is where it starts today. Notice it says therefore. Why therefore? Because there were a whole lot of people who left but never made it in. You know what happens? Their experience is one that will be a contagion to other people. Because they'll say, you know, I went to church a couple times. I stood up and sang a couple songs and I felt a stirring and I had a really cool experience. But that was about it. This God thing doesn't work. Well, if you're thinking of God as a thing, you're already in trouble. Imagine Someone is in love with you, ladies. I mean, crazy, gaga, way way out. They're pulling out their wallet in love with you. And they do crazy things. Like, watch movies that no man with his dignity would ever watch. Sit and listen forever to any opinion you have. change their whole schedule just to know you. Change their diet because they don't want to eat something that could offend you. In my opinion, that's love. Or you got other issues. And they go after you with everything. And they prove to you love by the one thing that should be proven by sacrifice. Let's face it, ladies. A man that's not willing to sacrifice? I question the depth of that love. On either side. Hey, you know, you were supposed to see that with your dads. I pray to be that for my kids. I pray to be that to you, to be honest. Love should cost. And he proves it. And he does it all. And he says, look it, I want to cover you in my protection. I want to provide for you and give you a home full of love, full of joy. All I want is to be with you. That's all I want, just to be with you. And you're like, cool, all right. So you say yes for a little bit. You spend a couple days. They lavish you with everything. 
and then you move away and you have nothing to do with them from that point forward. And you're like, well, now you're not hanging out with him. So you're not experiencing anything that he has to offer. You're not returning his calls. And then say, oh, I tried that marriage thing, but it, it doesn't work. If the marriage thing really isn't about the relationship, what in the world is it about? Taking out the trash, making sure you do the dishes, occasional laundry. That's what it's about. Somehow in that, working out children. That's what it's about. A tax break. That's what it's about. So you can live in a specific community where they're a little bit more conservative. That's what it's about. (laughs) If marriage isn't about a great relationship, who would want it? Because there are sacrifices to be made. Boys don't hang out with the boys like they used to. But I'll be honest, I don't want to. They're like, you know, people call up and it's like, hey, let's go out and hang out. I'm like, no, not at night. It's my girl time. Not like I'm going to be a girl. That's my time with my girl. Just want to make that clear. I'm not like painting nails and watching those movies. I've paid my dues. Um, (laughs) Until the next one comes out. Please hear me. Communion means to be together, to be intimate. Communion means to be united. That's what it means. Could you imagine? We had communion. Well, who are you communing with? I don't know. I closed my eyes. They put a wafer in my mouth. I walked away. So who were you communing with? Wouldn't that be sad? It's like, hey, I just got married. To who? I don't know. They gave me a ring. I put it on. I walked out. Really? Awesome marriage. So where are you going to live now? Where I normally live. How are you going to live? The way I did before. Awesome marriage. I think you don't know what... I think that word doesn't mean what you think it means. Do you get me on this? Listen. A lot of people left, but they didn't make it to where they were supposed to. Because in the end of it all, they didn't go for the person. So you know what it looks like? A bunch of laws. Hey, yeah, I want to tell you about Jesus. And people well, yeah, but isn't that just a bunch of laws? And blah, blah. No, you know what? To be honest, it's a relationship and everything else doesn't matter after that. Hey, when someone has your love, all the other stuff sort of falls in line. Imagine it's like, well, she kind of wants me home. Yeah. I'm happy about that. It'd be worse if she was like, no, 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 I really don't want you home. You don't really have to come home at all. I'd be a little nervous about that and you should be too. Isn't it some rules and regulations? Yeah, they come with marriage too. But you recognize that and it doesn't even seem limiting. Hey, when Jacob, if you remember the story, worked for Rachel, he worked seven years because he didn't have any money to pay her dowry. But it says the days were like years. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, not really. The years were like days because of the love he had for her. He was like, man, it just doesn't seem like work. Can I say, I've been a pastor. This is scary. This year, it'll be 25 years. I've been, I've had the badge. And for, I've never for a second not loved what I get to do. I adore getting, I get to do this. I adore what I get to watch you do. To watch Jenny, who the first time we met her, we didn't even hear her speak. And now we don't even get to hear her sing. It's awesome the where, how far we've gone. Boy, he's so good. Do you remember when you were in chains? 
Do you remember the person you were a year ago? You know what's cool? I don't. Because you just don't even look like them anymore. Man, where you came in and who you are today are so different. And that was not because of a religion, is it? It wasn't because of a higher power. It wasn't because of a program. Because somebody changed your life. Don't forget that. So listen. There's a lot of other people that sat in the same pews with you. They sang the same songs. They did the same thing. But man, they just never got the person out of it. Can I just dare say there is a rampant, widespread political religion in this country, and not just this one alone. I don't think it has much to do with Jesus anymore. And we're raising up a whole lot of people, and people who don't know him are convinced they have nothing to know. Because they're like, who wants all those rules? Hey, I'll be honest. If you don't know Jesus, I don't blame you for going out and getting wasted, going out and having sex and doing crazy things. Now, the reason is because you've got a hole. You know there's a hole there and you want to fill it and you're trying to find whatever you can for it. I get that. And it's advertised for that. But man, I remember the first time that I said, I don't even want this anymore. Because every longing inside of me was quenched. Do you remember that? So be careful. Take heed. Because you think you stand. Hey, just because you think you stand, be careful lest you fall. Because let me tell you what. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. And notice then in verse 13, that one verse gives us all that we need to know about temptation. And by the way, it eliminates three very fundamental lies about temptation. Here's the first of them. That when you are being tempted with something, isn't it easy sometimes to hear that you're a freak? You're a mutant? Oh, there's other people who might struggle a little bit, but your struggle is so unique. If you told anyone, they would run away screaming like you were a zombie. And we don't want to tell people, hey, I'm struggling with this thing. You know what's amazing? If God actually said, just for a moment, I'm going to lift the veil and show everyone, everyone's sins in this room, we would probably then be throwing up for the next three hours. It would be holy vomit. And that would be just because, I mean, first, first there'd be a part of me that would want to look and see yours, and there's a part of me that would be fearful to see what do they see of mine, right? I mean, but in the end of it all, what he's saying is, look at what you're struggling with is common. It is a common problem. That's the problem, is that we don't want to actually make that clear. Second thing, it says that God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. The second thing is, you get to this place where you feel like you'll never be able to say no. Now, I'll be honest, before I knew Christ, I could pretend like I'd say no, but in the end of it all, it would still wind up being a yes. But God never gives you a test to fail you. I want you to know that. I, I taught secondary school for six years. I never give a test for my students to fail. I'm not that sick-minded. I wanted them to pass. And as I was grading their tests, I would cheer. Come on, come on, come on, man. Get it, get it. Because I wanted them to get it. I never got like, ah, ha, 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 failed you. Uh, what? I don't know. That's just weird to me. I have Bible college students. Went and did a block class in Mallorca. My average grade <coughs> for the class was in the high 90%. 
Because I'm like, look at, I will stay up and do whatever is necessary. I want you all to know this well, because I just care. And this wasn't like math with all due respect. Like you're, you know, like sometimes you're like trigonometry. Am I ever going to need this? Maybe, but this was the Bible. So it's like, I knew you were going to need this. God, by the way, allows temptation, but he never sends it. But he will never allow you more than you can handle. So here's the crazy part. Maybe you're in a situation right now where you feel like you're being tested and you're like, I don't know how in the world I'm going to get through this. Apparently, God has a higher estimation of you than you do. Because God actually knows how much you can bear and you don't. And if God allows it, maybe one of the reasons he allows it is to show you that he's actually built you bigger than you think you are. I think there's something crazy about that. Could you imagine? He does like us calling out to him as our, because he is our strength. But I love the terms he uses. And the third it says is, and with every temptation, he will make a way of escape. Do you see that? There's the third lie. Is that once you get in it, you'll never get out. Once an addict, always an addict. You'll always be stuck in porn. You'll always be a gossip. You'll always be insecure. You'll always be a drunk. You'll always be, really? Hey, you were raised violent. You'll be violent. I was. But I have a whole new DNA now. Listen to these terms. It says no temptation. What's the term that's used there? What's the term? What does it say there? No temptation is what? Overtaken. I'd like you to think about this. This is an easy example because look at the two of us. I was going to use jazz, but I decided I would use Hugo. To overtake Hugo, the most easy way to assume that is I would have to be bigger than him. And we kind of get the idea like temptations Goliath. And we're not even David. We're Zacchaeus. When something overtakes you, you get the idea here. Look at the last statement. It says he'll provide a way so that you would be able to, what's the term? Bear it. Do you see the word bear? The word means to carry, to lift up. Here's the interesting thing. The idea, look at, put those two words together. Something's coming at Hugo to overtake him. Can I just say that? That's what it says. But this can't do it. And to, to overtake him, the idea is simply to overpower him, to get on top of him and to take him down. You get that? That's the idea. But God says, I'm not going to let anything take you down. I will not allow anything that you can't. So what does he have to do? He says, God will provide a way of escape. But you know the way of escape is? To lift it off of you. Is that a weird thought? So Hugo steps in, he picks up his hand, and he flips me over his shoulder, and bam, I go down. And he's like, all right. That's the idea. Go ahead and have a seat. Thanks, bro. Listen, <laughs> when it comes to temptation, this is what we naturally think. We, like, we get to this point where we're like walking like this. Oh, I'm just, no, it's going to happen. I was like, ah! And then we're like down in a, curled down in a ball and just waiting for the thing to go, bam, 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 bam. And you're like, just make it stop. Just make it stop. And that's our life. And then we go and we come to church and we're like, oh, I've got the victory in Christ. Right. 
right? And we know we're lying. We know it. We're looking at scars all over. Oh, I got that big. Really? You know what the funny thing is? Have you known most bullies are the weakest people you'll ever meet? And he says, you know what? God's not going to allow it. Now, put it into context. There's a lot of people that left Egypt but didn't make it into where God had them. They surrendered to something. Listen, listen, listen. They surrendered to something that actually they were victorious over. Think about it. They died in the wilderness unnecessarily. But you watch it all the time. The kid who's in secondary school and he shoves his chest into another guy. And he's like, give me your money or whatever it is. And the kid's like, yeah, sure, 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 sure. We'll not put him to test. I was raised in martial arts. My first day in secondary school, I was the smallest kid. I was, believe it or not, I was smaller than Naomi. Um, <coughs> I was actually smaller than every girl in my school. I know what happened. I fell into a toxic, a, a vat of toxic waste. Um, I really don't know. But I can tell you this. One thing I learned in Chicago, any guy that starts like this, I think that's the goofiest thing I've ever seen in my life because it's like, check out my chest. Which part do you want to hit first, right? So I'm this little kid, and of course I was a prime target, right? Because let's start there. And the, so this guy kind of comes up, and he's like this, and I just went, Pah! like that, right into his solar plexus. And the guy's like, give me a And it was the end of the story. We were done. Now, that's not like, check me out, I'm awesome. The point was is that he would, looked bigger, but he really wasn't. Can I just say, your bodyguard is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and everything's going to bow to him. Everything's going to bow to him one day. That's your bodyguard if you've said yes to Jesus. And something comes up and starts doing this, and you want to step in, just go, hey, excuse me, it's for you. You want to take care of this? And that's the end of the story. We, I mean, we think, ah, oh, the devil's got, you know, Jesus on the ropes. He's down one, two, three days. He's up. But it's not like that. I mean, Jesus kind of came in and he's like, what you got? And he's like, give me death. He's like, okay. And then he comes up. He's like, well, is that all you got? This is God we're talking about here. Have you forgotten that? So listen, those people that started out someplace, but then surrendered to the bully could have won. You know, the difference is they just didn't pair up with the one. They didn't have communion with the one that would have given him victory. Does that make sense? Religion won't save you. Religion won't free you from the bully. Because of the bully's sin, temptation, death, bondage. Hey, Mike, I took that all to the cross, nailed it, came out of the whole thing. He didn't even, you know, the grave, he's like, can I borrow that for a weekend? And he was done. That's the way it works. Aren't you thankful? So listen, as we wrap this around the, the key point of the rest of this. So he goes, well, look, if you need to know that, if you need to know that, that if you want to play this as a politic, you can die in the wilderness with the rest of them. So be careful. Because can't we still do that? We can come in tonight. We can get our information. We can walk out. Say we knew something. Mm-mm-mm. But did we commune today? So listen. Therefore, and by the way, just you want to see the relationship Paul has with him? Look at verse 14. What does he call him? Beloved. Beloved. You know, we don't even have that today. Bro doesn't work. Mate doesn't work. 
We're almost afraid to say, man, I just love you. Paul wasn't afraid to tell you that. So he says, flee from idolatry. But look at this cup, this bread. What in the world is it? That's the point here. He says, you guys knew this because you guys used to go to idol temples. And you know what we used to do? What they used to do is they would go into a place, they would sacrifice an animal, they would drink its blood, cover their bodies in it, and then say, give me its power. I want that thing in me. They didn't expect to have a relationship with the personality. All they wanted was give me its power. Hey, in China that still happens to some degree. You eat an animal and hope that you get its power. I'm not too sure why. There's certain things that's like they eat like duck feet. I'm not too sure what power you get from that. Maybe you're a better swimmer. Yeah, see? That's right. Your toes get webbed. But I mean, in regards to, but there are certain animals, it's like, the only reason it's like because we get power from it. That's the point. And the reason I say that is, is that Paul's drawing from something they already knew. And that was that they went there because they expected to encounter, not just some experience, but they expected to encounter power. He goes, did you forget what this was supposed to be? He goes, is not, and notice the cup he calls the cup of blessing, verse 16. Is it not communion with the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not communion with the body of Christ? Listen. Communion, to be united, to be one with this thing, this person. You can't really be one with a thing as be living and have a personality to be one with it. Please hear me on this. If we don't get what this says, we're back to the politics. When Jesus broke this bread, this lamechani, this bread of affliction, it was to testify that he was willing to be broken so that he could purchase you. So that all of your brokenness, all of your wickedness, all of your nastiness, all of your rottenness could be fully paid. In other words, when Jesus took this thing and he said, this is my body now, and he broke it, he's like, look, at this was your bondage. I'm going to make my body that and then break your bondage by letting my body get broken. He goes, that's how important you are to me. That's how valuable you are to me. That I will step into your bondage. And I'll take it for it. So wait a minute. I'd like you to think about this. What our life would be like if we really, really, listen, listen, connected that bread. So what happens? Think this through with me. (coughs) You look in the mirror. You don't like what you see. You're not as tall. as cute. Maybe you're getting older, fatter, wrinklier. Your eyes are dimmer. Your teeth are darker. They're not as straight as you'd like. And they don't compare in any way to the, to the magazines, to people. Take the bread. Connect the bread that says, you're so valuable, I know everything about you, and I would still take it. Not just the bullet, but the slow, torturous death. That's what I would take for you. That's how important you are. When you're confronted with a you that you know is nothing good, and you come to realize, boy, I'm not as good as I thought I was. Connect the bread. 
that says, I love you and I know everything about you and I would pay your price. And I did. When you got that job and you really wanted it and you don't get the call back. Or worse yet, you do get the call back and they say, not you. Connect the bread. You feel like like you're worthless. And God goes, how could you be worthless when the one person who has everything gave up everything just to have you and chose to be broken? Connect the bread. When you're sitting on the train and it seems like everybody will sit in any seat except the two next to you, connect the bread. You're like, what do I smell? Because he knows everything about you and chose to be broken anyways. When you hear those beautiful words, you are a nice person. And you know where that's going to go. I just want to be friends. Can't we just be friends? Dang it. Connect the bread. When your friends turn into enemies and you have no idea why, or worse yet, you do have an idea why, connect the bread. When your friends get distant and you feel like they're even avoiding you, connect the bread. Because the only one who really knows you is the only one who chose to be broken for you. When your best isn't even remotely good enough, connect the bread. Commune. When you think that the world would be more quick to point and laugh at you, then stand up and take notice and smile. Connect the bread. Because whether you know it or not, no temptation has beset you except what is common to man. In those days when you're like, I don't like me and I don't blame everyone else for not liking me. Connect the bread. Because what that bread says is, I know you better than you know you. And to be honest, you're nastier than you actually think you are. But I love you anyways, and I would choose to be broken just for you. That's what the bread says. Jesus' death on the cross said, I would rather die than live without you. And Jesus asked, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from before me. And that cup did not pass from before him. There's no other way. Someone has to pay for your crimes. And Jesus volunteered. Connect the bread. But it's not just the bread. It's the cup. And the cup is the fundament here. Please hear me. Because that cup, he says, here is a cup of blessing. See, that cup was where a husband stood proposing to his wife. Today he's on a knee with a ring. Those days he was there with a cup. And that cup, he would propose by saying, I offer you now my protection, my provision, my presence. I offer you that. And if you drink, you're saying yes. That's what you're saying. Will you have me? Will you let me be your love? Will you let me be your blessing? Will you let me cover you, protect you? I've already proven it. I've died on the cross for you. So the cop says, I'm not changing my mind. That's what the cop says. The cop says, I still am in love with you today as much as I've ever been. That's what the cop says. The cop says, you know, when I got into this relationship, I already knew all the stuff you have yet to discover about yourself, but I'm not changing my mind. That's what the cop says. So when you're sinking into your own shame and your sin seems to permanently stain you, connect the cup. When the strength of your resolve seems so miserable and weak like Peter, rudely confronted with the weakling we really can be, connect the cup where he says, I'm still not leaving. When even I don't want to be around me because I realize I'm not all that would, you really didn't get the great deal, connect the cup because God says, I'm still not leaving. 
when I feel helpless to the temptations around me, even though I know the truth. Connect the cup. Because he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. When I don't feel God, connect the cup. Because he said he would never leave or forsake you. When I feel like I'm lacking that fire, that passion to read or pray, or one of those days where you ever just feel like, I don't even feel like being a Christian today. It isn't like I feel like being anything other other than just rotten and nasty and a weasel, but I don't feel like doing anything reasonable or decent today. Connect the cup. Because whether you like it or not, he's not leaving. When I feel like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, connect the cup. How can he not hear when he won't leave? When I feel like the world's hooks are so dug deep into me that all I can do is sit there and bleed, connect the cup. It says, I'm not leaving. You know, I've watched relationships where sometimes a gal is so convinced that the guy's going to leave that she does everything she can to make him leave to prove herself right. Have you ever watched that? You're like, what in the world are you doing? Well, I know he's going to leave someday. Well, it's like you're giving him every reason to. Why don't you actually let him love you? Well, I don't know how to take love. Hey, I don't blame you. I didn't either. But I'm learning. That's part of the amazing journey that I'm on. Hey, you know what this cup says? Yeah, I'll have you. You really want to wash me clean from all my filth? Why would I say no to that? You really want to be the one to be responsible to care for me? Hey, I love me and you love me more than I love me? Go for it. And you're stronger and better and you know everything? Go for it. You really want to cover me in that love? Well, then go for it. And imagine Paul's looking, he's going, you guys are getting drunk at this table. You guys are having this feast where some of you are so glutted and poor people go hungry. And he goes, there's no communion there. Do you even realize what happened here? This speaks of a cross. I mean, this speaks of a person who is the only person who can know everything about you. And he wants you and he's never going to change his mind. Could you imagine? So listen. He says, even though we're a whole lot of people, we are still considered one body, one church body. Just the same way this one piece of bread has a lot of parts to it. That's why we didn't break it into little pieces. Because in a moment here, I'm going to give you a crazy choice. I don't want to ask you to take communion because other people are going to take communion. I'm not going to ask you to take a cup and ask you to take bread. I'm asking you to have communion tonight. So I'm going to do something without the voice that I have. So hopefully I won't harm any of you. I'm going to get on the piano. I'm going to drop the lights. I'm going to play a couple songs. But during the time that we do that, Listen, 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 and we're going to close this. Nobody becomes a Christian any other way than this, and you know this. Every one of us starts out sinners. No matter how you want to make it up, no matter what you want to say about yourself, either you're delusional and think you're perfect, or you're normal and you realize you're not. The question is, how do we deal with that? God knew that. A God who knows everything doesn't get surprised by that. But he also was righteous enough that all wrong must be punished. And he left this one provision. If someone perfect were willing, who had no sin, were willing to take your place, they would, God would allow it. 
And he knew the only person that was actually qualified was himself. So he came and he paid the price for you. He didn't have to. He could have let you go to hell. He could have let you spend your entire life, not just eternity, but even starting this moment, he could have let you spend your whole eternity away from him, starting now, but he didn't create you for that. You know, the weird thing is, I don't even have to convince you. I know right now God loves you so much, if you let him speak to you, he would. So he paid the price. It's already been paid. And all he's asking for is one word. Yes. The same way that when the man drops the knee today with the ring in his hand, he doesn't need a lengthy dissertation. Yes works really well. Which, by the way, when I went to propose to my wife and I'm going up to her, she's going, no way, no way. Now that's a little deflating. Can I just say that? I mean, she was in disbelief. That's what I'm telling myself. And I'm like walking there. I got the ring in my hand. I'm like, you know, and then I'm like, ah. And she remained silent. I'm like, a yes would be really nice right now. Your entire family's looking. As you might have guessed, she said yes. And then she didn't just be like, well, I got the ring. Is that all? She knew that unfortunately with that ring came the guy that was holding it. That's what she consigned herself to. Hey, there's the ring. And you know what you consign yourself to? The one who dropped a knee and said, will you be mine? Will you be mine? Now, hey, look, at you can say no, and I don't want to shame you for it. But why would you want to do that? The price has been paid. Find that somewhere else. You know what everything else says? You try to work it off. And the problem is try that with a judge. So I killed a couple people, but don't worry. I've actually bought a lot of Girl Scout cookies. See how that works. Bottom line is crime still needs to be paid. Punished. So here's the deal. If you are a Christian, you know why. Because at some point you said yes. Jesus, if you want to be my Savior, be my guest. Yes. You want to be my Lord? Yes, be my Lord. Lead me, guide me, guard me, love me, feed me, do it. I'm yours. The Bible says be careful. Whether you have ever said yes tonight or not, if you walk up here and you take this, you're saying yes. Because you're saying, all right, Lord, I get it. I get it. I mean, I get everything, but I get the idea that this bread testifies that for all the wickedness I ever have and will do, you stepped in front of it to receive the punishment for it. I get that. And you tear off a piece of bread. You tear off a piece. And then the cup. That cup testifies that he calls a cup of blessing. That cup says, hey, you know what? I recognize you're never going to leave me. Even in the moments when I would leave me, you're not going to. So I realize this isn't just a temporary thing. This is for good. So I'm going to pray a prayer. And then I'm going to leave it to you. We'll drop the lights. Hey, please, don't feel like anyone's pressuring you into a sales pitch. Why would I do that? But can I say this? My best friend is in love with you. and I feel like I'm in secondary school telling you that. And he just sent me to tell you with a little note that says, will you go out with me? Check yes or no. Hey, that's up to you. But I want to warn you, if you do say yes, he's going to take you seriously. You know why? Because he really wants to. 
because he really loves you that much. And I speak from experience. All right. I'll pray. Someone kill the lights. Lord, would you please tonight just show us where we're at with you? Could we hear you say it? That you do love us? That this isn't some story made up by people to try to give hope? But people were tortured terribly to death because they knew you, because they met you, because they saw you. And there was nothing they were going to do. Nothing the world could do to change their mind. So tonight, Lord, we recognize to partake of this bread, to eat of this cup, to drink of this cup. Lord, isn't joining a church. It isn't becoming a member of something in that sense. We don't even have a membership here, Lord. You know that. It's just saying yes to you, to your love, to your offer. So, Lord, wherever we're at tonight, would you give us holy courage? Lord, first of all, just show us it's right. And then as you show us it's right, would you then just give us the courage to come? But not, but not just to, uh, to take of these things, but to say yes to your love. So Lord, tonight, would you do that in each of us? We recognize that that would be confessing that you really did die. But you really did pay, these, pay this price. And though we may not understand everything, and though we recognize that there's areas of our life that, um, that always change with any form of relationship. Lord, we may not understand everything except this. We understand that if you want to change us, you can do and impress upon our heart and change us to make us, Lord, the kind of people that we would even be amazed by. So tonight, Lord, this is yours now. In Jesus' name.